wanted power without discipleship. It's the power behind the power. That's the real power, right? It's power to grasp the love of Christ. There is not a one-size-fits-all template for the Holy Spirit in the world. Christ filling every corner of your life. Hey, there's water. of the particular show or episode, they will have a recap of the f- previous weeks. And, and previously on Arrested Development or previously on This Is Us, woot woot, um, there are specific scenes or specific uh, quotes or specific uh, parts of past episodes that are going to frame the next one, key people that helps shape the next chapter, right? And you used to have to wait a whole week before you got to see how that played out. And um, now you just binge watch everything in one night and you have to wait four seconds between episodes. But the recap part of the show is to go back and help reframe what is coming. And so in case um, you haven't read uh, in case you haven't binge-watched um, the book of Acts, uh, we're going to go back just a bit and, and talk about some quotes and some scenes that are going to shape chapter 8, starting with Acts 1-8, which we talk about pretty much every week, which says, this is Jesus, post-resurrection, pre-ascension. He says to his apostles, to his disciples, he says, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and then what we found out a couple of weeks ago was that as a church was growing and just exploding, that there were some people that were falling through the cracks, mainly Greek-speaking widows. And so the people uh, responded uh, first with, do something about this. And the apostles said, well, you pick seven men. And they did. They picked seven men from among them who would be essentially deacons, would wait tables. And among those seven men were these two, Stephen and Philip. Soon afterwards we saw Stephen not just waiting tables, but actually proclaiming the good news about Jesus and performing miraculous signs and wonders, which really ticked off the Jewish authorities, who in their wickedness drummed up a bunch of lies and a bunch of false witnesses, a false testimony um, against Stephen, and who in their rage actually stoned him to death. So then, if you're doing the recap at the beginning of the episode, the screen splits into three parts. And in one part, you see the funeral of Stephen. And in the second part, you see the people flooding, the Christians flooding out of Jerusalem, scattering all over Palestine uh, to escape persecution because the guy on the right is Saul. And Saul is going house to house, arresting 
the Christians. And so then we get to Acts chapter 8, which says a great wave of persecution began that day. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus everywhere and wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Forced to leave their home base, the believers in Jesus were scattered, and they all became missionaries. Wherever they went, they proclaimed the good news of Jesus. So there was this ripple effect, but usually the ripple effect kind of uh, loses some steam and momentum as it goes. And this is just the opposite. As it moves out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, it's actually gaining steam. As the power of the gospel goes forward. Philip goes to a city in Samaria, either the Samaritan city of Samaria or a city in Samaria. And now it's important to know that there, in the backstory of Samaria, there was a 1,000 year rift between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be ethnically and religiously inferior. So the Samaritans, they were neither Jew, full-blooded Jew, or Gentile. Their only real identity was that they were less than. And Philip, who is Greek-speaking Jew, knows a little bit about what it means to be an outsider. So I think it's cool that he goes to Samaria, prompted by the Holy Spirit, to bring salvation through the sharing of the gospel, the proclamation of the good news, and through the physical and the mental and the spiritual restoration as Philip is demonstrating God's kingdom with miraculous signs, such as casting out evil spirits and bringing the lame to their feet. Well, here's a switch in the story. Verse 9, a man named Simon, who had been a sorcerer there in Samaria for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. And then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles that Philip performed. So enter Simon into the story he had been running a, a magic show for many years there in Vegas. And um, the, he had been astounding the people, amazing them with smoke and mirrors. 
He thought he was someone great, and he wanted everyone else to know that he was someone great, so he told them on a regular basis how great he was, so that they actually called him the great one, the power of God. The rich and the famous and the poor and the common people all gave their attention to him and followed him around. He loved the spotlight. And then Philip came to town. And Philip preaches the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the people said, forget magic. This is for real. And they believed and they were baptized into the name of Jesus And then it says, Simon also believed, but it doesn't say what he believed in. He believed and was baptized also. And then he starts following Philip everywhere he goes because he was amazed at the signs and the wonders, at the miracles that Philip was doing without magic. Without smoke in mirrors, without fake doors, this was real. And Simon was blown away. I mean, this is a guy that was blown away everybody else for years and years and years. But now he is blown away. He is a power seeker. And he encounters the true power of Jesus Christ and the wonders that is being done through Philip. And he wants that power for himself. He believes in the signs and wonders but not in the person of Jesus. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they receive the Holy Spirit. Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you, forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. So remember that because of the persecution, the people were scattered all over the place, except for the 12, except for the apostles, the original disciples of Jesus who had walked with Jesus and had witnessed the resurrection. They were still in Jerusalem. So the 12 hear the news that people in Samaria of all places, even though Acts 1.8, were becoming believers in Jesus. They send Peter and John to go check it out. Interesting choice because one time John asked Jesus to call down fire from heaven to destroy a Samaritan village, right? So not good blood there in the past, but John has been renewed and restored by Jesus. And so Peter and John go to Samaria to check it out. When they arrived, they realized that the people had been baptized into Jesus, but had not yet received 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John are praying for people, and they're laying their hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. And Simon thinks, how cool would it be to have that power? Not just the miracles, but the power behind the miracles. And you've seen this in The Lord of the Rings, And you've seen this in every Marvel movie. It's the power behind the power. That's the real power, right? Getting the Holy Spirit is one thing, but being able to lay your hands on people for them to receive the Holy Spirit? Now that's something. Just like rich people, uh, I don't know if they still do, used to pay the Russians millions of dollars to, to, to be a fake astronaut for a week. Did you know they did that? Um, if you had enough money, you could go up into space, right? Simon wanted to buy his way into being an apostle, having to pretend to be an apostle, to buy the rights to the Holy Spirit. And this is the part of the story where, this, where things go horribly wrong for Simon. Have you ever tried to buy top secret classified information on the genetic engineering of ferrets? from a Canadian secret agent disguised as a Culligan man? No? So this is way worse than that, right? Simon pulls out his money and excited, he says, sell me your secret. Show me how you did that. How much do you want? Name your price. And he was expecting Peter to hear something like, well done, thy good and faithful entrepreneur. Instead, Peter says, to hell with your money and you along with it. Of all the nerve to actually think that you could buy the power of God. He said, you have no part in this ministry because your heart is so disconnected from what God is actually doing. There is jealousy and bitterness in your heart. So here's what you need to do. Put your money back in your wallet. Repent of your sin so that God, pray that God won't wipe you out because of your foolishness. And Simon says, oh, well, then pray for me, right? Pray to the master that nothing like this will ever happen to me. Simon never repents. He never asks for forgiveness. He asks for protection from God's anger, but he never dies to himself. He still wants it to be all about him and not about Jesus. Other historians from that era have written about Simon, that he went back to his magic and that he, had, he claimed to be a little G God. He wanted power without discipleship. So, Samaria, right? Verse 25, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem but they, they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. As they are going, the Great Commission is going as they are going, preaching the good news, making disciples. Peter and John take their time getting back to Jerusalem. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and Oh, come on. To the ends of the earth. Yeah. We're memorizing this verse together. 
Jerusalem, check. Judea and Samaria, check. But how is the gospel going to go to the ends of the earth? Well, that story begins with another outsider in Philip. Verse 26. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out and he met the treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under uh, Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and now he was at, I can't talk, and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And the passage of scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. How cool is that? The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So the Samaritans were at the low end of the economic and social status. This guy was at the high end. He was powerful. He was the treasurer of Ethiopia. He was a eunuch of great authority to the queen. The Odyssey, the book The Odyssey, right, speaks of far off Ethiopians. Get this at the ends of the earth. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. He, as a eunuch, he would not have been allowed into the temple courts. And still he traveled a thousand miles to get to Jerusalem. He was a God follower, but he was a religious outsider. He's reading from Isaiah. And this is a messianic passage about Jesus. So Philip comes and he's listening to the Holy Spirit. He finds himself, the Holy Spirit, via angel, says, go to this road. So he goes to this road and he hardly steps on that road when this chariot's coming down the road. And there were two roads going from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is one that was not heavily traveled just happened to be an Ethiopian high-ranking official in his chariot coming down the road. And the Holy Spirit says, get closer. So as he gets closer, he hears this guy reading out loud from Isaiah. He says, do you know what you're reading? 
God goes, how could I without someone helping me? He comes along and beside him in the chariot, beginning with that passage, he connects the dots to Jesus. He gets this picture of Jesus from this Old Testament passage. And it can be assumed that Philip then went on to share with the Ethiopian what it meant to be a follower of Jesus because the Ethiopian, as soon as he sees water, says, hey, there's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, nothing. (laughs) And so he baptizes him. He comes up out of the water, and then the Holy Spirit teleports Philip, you know, away. And he finds himself 40 miles to the north. And then he preaches to all the towns up the coast until he gets to Caesarea. Later in Acts, he finds finds Philip once more. He is an evangelist in Caesarea, and he has four daughters who all have the prophetic gift. So ministry with his life. He quickly, Aaron said this in our teaching meeting the other day, Stephen and Philip quickly outgrew their waiting on tables role. She said he had one job and he blew it, right? Signs and wonders and miracles and preaching the gospel and being an evangelist and raising up this family that had a heart for ministry. And the gospel is spreading. Persecution. Oh, meanwhile, the Ethiopia returns to Ethiopia. The Ethiopian returns to Ethiopia filled with joy. And we don't know his story, but we can assume that he didn't keep that quiet. To the ends of the earth, the gospel is spreading and persecution instead of crushing Christianity actually has a ripple effect on the spread of Christianity and it just keeps going. There's a lot we could unpack from these two vignettes and I just want to focus on a couple of things that are both amazing and somewhat confusing in our time left. And the first one is this. There is not a one-size-fits-all template for the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And the second is like it. There is not a one-size-fits-all template for evangelism in the book of Acts. And we could add to that there's not a one-size-fits-all template for missions or prayer or social justice or worship or giving or spiritual gifts or conflict resolution The book of Acts is not prescriptive, it is descriptive. Luke is painting a picture of this movement of the gospel and the spread of the church. And that said, it is God's word. And so there is a setting and a context, but the word of God also speaks into every time and into every culture with laser focus and relevance because this is the word of God. So what is the book of Acts, and specifically Acts chapter 8, saying to us about the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? The gift of the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 came when Peter preached the gospel and people, people were cut to the heart and they responded to the gospel and the expectation was that belief in repentance, in confession, in baptism, in forgiveness of sin and the gift of the Holy Spirit all went together. People responded, they were repented, they were baptized, they received the Spirit. 
In Acts chapter 8, people respond with belief and repentance and baptism, but they don't immediately receive the Holy Spirit until Peter and John come to pray and lay hands on. The delay most likely is attached to the fact that this is the first time the gospel had been proclaimed outside of Jerusalem in Samaria. And the, the apostles wanted to clarify what was going on that what was going on in Samaria was for real, but also to confirm to the Samaritans that they were in fact Christians, that they were for real with Jesus. The Samaritan Christians were not outsiders like they had always been. They were not second-class Christians and citizens in the kingdom of Jesus. There was so much potential for division in the church so the timing and atypical filling of the Spirit in this story was to clarify to the Jewish and Samaritan Christians alike that there is one faith and there is one Lord and one Spirit and one baptism. There is, but there is not a one-size-fits-all template for receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. The Spirit comes when he wants, <laughs> Sometimes when the apostles are present, sometimes not. Sometimes in conjunction with water baptism. Here it's after. In, in chapter 10, belief and, belief and the Spirit come prior to water baptism with Cornelius. There is a, a usual, but a not always. <laughs> And the same thing is true that there is not a one-size-fits-all template for evidence of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. There is internal evidence. There is the, the prompting to come close to Jesus. There is comfort. There is encouragement. There is holiness. There is faith. There is a conviction of sin and an understanding of Scripture through the Spirit. There is the fruit of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There is the evidence of the creativity and calling of individuals, each one to participate in the way of Jesus and his kingdom through work and through family and relationships in every part of one's life. There is this internal evidence of the Holy Spirit, but there is also an external evidence, an outward evidence. At Pentecost, there were tongues of fire resting on the heads and the sound of rushing wind and the ability to speak in different languages. There are signs and wonders like casting out evil spirits and bringing the paralyzed to their feet. Spiritual gifts like tongues and prophecy often accompanied the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's also boldness to testify and proclaim the good news. The power and the presence of the Spirit, like truth and grace, are two sides of the same coin when the Holy Spirit fills your life. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is immeasurably more to do all than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Paul says a couple of things there. He says, first of all, that it happens in your inner self, in your inner being, not just your intellect, but the emotions and the will in your soul, Christ filling every corner of your life. And that the Holy Spirit brings an inner strength, not just a self-discipline or suck it up and get it over with, or I just have this positive attitude or just getting a grip or turning over a new leaf. It's not a, a strength that comes from pulling longer hours and just working harder, lifting more spiritual weight, doing more reps. It is God's spirit at work in us. It's his work. It's power to trust Jesus and power to invite him to dwell in you with his presence. It's power to grasp the love of Christ. Paul says to be rooted and established in in his love so that nothing can shake your trust in him. To know this love surpasses book knowledge It means to experience and to encounter Jesus. Knowing his love gives you a foundation from which to live. When we know his love, then we know who we are. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that you may be satisfied with him and him alone. So his presence, his power, his love, his life, they inhabit you as you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to lead into communion, and I want to finish the sermon after our last song with just a couple of minutes of, okay, so what? But I just want to press pause in order to really go deep with the power and the presence expressed through the love of Jesus as we come into communion. Tony Campolo wrote that power is the awesome beauty of the weakness of love. Power is the awesome beauty of the weakness of love. And that is a completely different narrative than what you get anywhere else in the world. That is completely the antithesis of what Simon was going after. Power is the awesome beauty of the weakness of love. And we experience both God's love and his power. Both his power and his presence. His love saves us and heals us. 
His love makes us new. On the other hand, his power destroys in us all that is corrupt and unclean. He doesn't force his way into our lives, Campolo says. He presents himself to us, not in the awesome splendor of his power, but in the weakness on a cross. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let's experience the glory of your goodness. What is the evidence of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in and through your life? Oh, to grace, how great a death.